0: John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. No need if you don't have your Bibles. Uh, I'll just read it for you here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. full of grace and truth. That's John's story of Christmas, very different to ones that we find in Matthew and Luke. Now Christmas means a lot to people, doesn't it? And I think part of the reason why is because at Christmas we all get together for family reunions, we have good food together, we exchange presents, we have time off from work. And all of these sources of meaning are good, but they're not going to last They're not going to endure. And I can assure you that when you sit down on the 2nd of January at your desk, they're going to seem like a distant memory. But there are other meanings to Christmas that go far deeper. And those meanings will endure for the rest of your life and, in fact, for eternity. And they'll help you to get through some really difficult times in life. So what I'd like to do is just to unpack some of that deeper meaning of Christmas using those first 14 verses from the Gospel of John. Now, as I alluded to earlier, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke give us the facts about Christmas, don't they? They tell us about the kings, the shepherds, the angels, the gold frankincense and myrrh, the baby Jesus. But John, in his Gospel, tells us what those facts mean. And so I'd like to look at verse 14, which is probably the most loaded verse of that whole passage. And it goes like this The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And i like to reflect just on the first four words of that verse The Word became flesh. Let's begin by reflecting on that. What does it mean when, when it, the Bible says, or when John says, that Jesus is the Word? Of God, Well, a person's word is the clearest expression of who they are. When I was at university living on campus, I lived on a, in a residence that was in close proximity to about half a dozen, dozen other residences. And so I was in daily contact with probably a, th- a thousand, maybe two thousand people. And as time went on, I got to know a lot about all of those different people. I would see them on a day-to-day basis and I started to recognize them, I started to, to learn a lot about them. The clothes that they wore, the sort of friends that they had, whether they ordered vegetarian in the canteen or not, which residence they lived in. I got to know an awful lot about those people. But if you come up to me and ask me, do you know this guy? Do you know Joe Bloggs? Have you met him? I would have said no. Why? Because you can get to know a lot about a person, but to get to know a person, you must have talked to him. To met him, you must have talked to him. And now John tells us that Jesus is the word of God. In other words, you can't get to know God without knowing Jesus. Jesus is the clearest expression of who and what God is. Yes, you can get to know a lot about God, just as I got to know a lot about those other people that were on campus with me. But actually, to get to meet him, to get to talk to him, you must get to know Jesus. Now, that Greek word that John uses is the word logos. It's the same word that we get, um, that the English word uses to get logic. So what what it means is that Jesus... Is the logic of God. That sounds puzzling, doesn't it? What it's telling us is that Jesus is the watertight argument for the existence of God and what he's like. And folks, this is good news because a watertight person is so much better than a watertight argument. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to follow arguments sometimes. But following a person, a watertight person who is the logic of God, the expression of what God is like, is so much easier. And it's so much more meaningful. And also, philosophy professors, I remember when I was doing philosophy at university, they teach that there is no such thing as a watertight argument to prove anything. And so we don't have a watertight argument, we have a watertight person. And so. I would encourage you to study Jesus. I'd encourage you to study the evidence of his life. I'd encourage you to study his claims and to check to see whether his claims match up with the evidence. He is the watertight argument of God. He is the word of God. But the next thing that we see in this passage is that the word was made flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means that the word was made soft, vulnerable, killable, if you like. Ken Gaius describes the scene just after Jesus is born, from his imagination. He says, Mary bears her breast and reaches for the shivering baby. She lays him on her chest, and his helpless cries subside. His tiny head bobs around on the unfamiliar terrain. This will be the first thing the infant king learns. Mary can feel his racing heartbeat as he gropes to nurse. Deity, nursing from a young maiden's breast. Could anything be more puzzling or more profound? The baby finishes in size. The divine word reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. Then for the first time, his eyes fix on his mother's. Deity, straining to focus. Imagine what it must have been like for God. The light of the world squinting, tears pool in her eyes. She touches his tiny hand, and hands that once sculpted the mountain ranges cling to her finger. Folks, in no other religion does God identify so intimately with our humanity. God became a human being. Ken goes on to write, And so, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity without protocol and without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys, a few halted cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel. The Word became flesh. And I'd like to draw out two very brief implications uh, uh, from this. And they come from Hebrews 2, verses 17. Let me read it to you. Jesus was fully human in every way, that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. That's the first thing, that he might make atonement or propitiation for the sins of his people. And secondly, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So let's take the first thing. A propitiation is a sacrifice that is made to appease the just wrath of a God. Now, I don't know if there's anyone in the hall today. I'm sure there are many people that have have been the victims of injustice. And I'm talking about something serious. Maybe something like murder or betrayal, theft on a grand scale, maybe abuse. And you'll know that when something like that is committed against you, there is a huge rift that opens up between you and the person that perpetrated that injustice. And you you want justice to be served that person. Do you know why that happens? Do you know why this rift opens up between you and the other person? It's because you're created in the image of God. And just in the same way as that rift opens up between you and the person that has offended you, there is a rift that opens up between humankind and God because of the injustices that we have committed and because of the things that we have done against God. And the only way for that rift to be bridged is for there to be an acceptable sacrifice, a sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God so that it isn't poured out on us. What we're told in Hebrews today is that Jesus was that acceptable sacrifice. The reason why he was acceptable is because he was a human being. He'd been through all the things that we've been through, and yet he hadn't committed sin. And so he's able to absorb that righteous justice that needs to be served. So that's the first thing, that Jesus came in the flesh so that he could be an acceptable sacrifice. Then the second thing, and I love this as well, You know, at Christmas, we often sing um, Wonderful Counselor. You might have heard it from the Messiah. It's from the prophecy in Isaiah. Wonderful Counselor. Well, Jesus is exactly that. But what does it mean? Let me just read to you verse 18 again. It says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help those who are suffering. And this is true, isn't it, in life? If, um, if you want to go to a counselor who will really understand where you've been, you go to a counselor who's been through the same trials and same problems that you've been through. They've got through it now, and they're okay, but they're able to help you so much more effectively than someone who hasn't been through the same things. Just to give you an example, when I was growing up, uh, our family often used to laugh, and much to our shame, and we often used to laugh at City of Harare workers, because whenever we saw them working, in inverted commas, they'd be digging a trench, um, and there'd always be seven or eight people, and it would only be one person digging, and the rest would be sort of leaning against their picks. And so I was always a little bit disparaging of people doing manual work. I always thought they were shirking. Then, many years later, I was installing irrigation in Chapingi, and I decided to lead from the front and join my irrigation gang in digging an irrigation trench because I thought that they weren't digging fast enough. <laughs> and so I picked up a pick, um, and I started to dig. And that was when I understood. That was when I truly understood. That was when I empathized with those guys. And from then onwards, when they came to me and they said, you know, um, Mr. Ray, could we have, could we, could we have gumboots when we're working in the trench? I was very quick to, to sort that out because I'd empathized. And you know, God is like that. He's got his hands dirty. He came down to earth. He knows what it's like to be a human being. And so that means that if you're grieving today because you're missing a loved one, and Christmas just isn't the same without them, are you grieving today because you're missing a loved one? Um, And Christmas just isn't the same. Have you been betrayed? Have you suffered an injustice? Have you been abandoned by your friends? Maybe you've been abused. Maybe even some of us have been beaten. Jesus understands because he experienced all of those things. He got his hands dirty, he came down and became a human being. And he's able to help you. Have you asked him? Have you gone to him for help? You might say, well, yes, I went to Jesus in my hour of need and he didn't answer my prayer. And that's happened to many people. But Jesus Jesus understands even that because he's a human being. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out to God in his hour of need and he said, please, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. Let's do it in a different way so that I don't have to suffer on the cross. And you know what? God refused his prayer. Jesus knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even God knows what it's like to feel abandoned by God. And so I'd like you to take away those three aspects of the meaning of Christmas because I know that they'll get you through some really hard stuff. And invariably, there'll be hard stuff facing us in 2018. That's just the way life is. But because of the meaning of Christmas, we can get through. The first of all, the thing, first thing that we can take away is that Jesus provides us with a watertight argument for the existence of God and what he's like. If you want to know what God is like, go and have a look at Jesus. He'll give an accurate representation. He is the word of God. Then the second thing is that the rift between us and God has been bridged through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It makes it possible for us to be able to relate to God even though we've offended him in such a terrible way. Offended him so much folks that he sent his own son to die on the cross in our place. That's how much the offense is, that's how big the gap is between us and God and yet the meaning of Christmas is that that gap has been bridged. And then last of all we have a wonderful counselor. Anything that you're struggling with Jesus knows what it's like. He was a human being. He got his hands dirty. He can empathize with you. Go to him. Speak to him. And pray to him. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We are just overwhelmed by this gift that you've given us at Christmas. And Father, I I pray that, that if there are those who haven't... Got to know you, maybe they know a lot about you, I pray that they would find in Jesus the word that you have spoken to us about yourself. Father, I also pray for those that need a counselor today and those that are going to need a counselor in the year ahead. I pray that you would help us to turn to you as the one who understands, the one who got his hands dirty. Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, Please come and bless the rest of our day together. May we have a fantastic time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.